Welcome to That's My Personal Business, where we are pulling back the curtain on all things personal, all things business, and all things in between. Every Monday, we're hopping into your headphones to help you skip the learning curve by hearing from industry professionals, including myself. I am a destination wedding photographer turned business coach who now gets to lead hundreds of creative entrepreneurs in building lives of artistic growth, wealth, and freedom. And now it's time for you to do the same. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to That's My Personal Business. How are you? It's so good to talk to you. I haven't recorded an episode, honestly, full transparency in weeks, maybe a month, because we have had a month completely dedicated to photography, and we had such a backlog of amazing podcast guests for you guys that I just kind of got to take the month off. And now I'm about to batch everything for February, so I'm like, oh my gosh, hi, I'm back. I know I didn't seem gone to you, but I was gone to me. And I also have been sick, as you guys heard probably in the intros, and I'm still a little stuffy, but thankfully we are finally better enough to record a solo episode. But anyway, it's just good to be back. It's good to be hanging out with you guys. It is time for book club. We are talking about the courage to be disliked today, and I am thrilled. I haven't finished the book. (laughs) Full transparency. Things have been crazy, you guys. I don't know what has been going on with the beginning of this year but it has already been so insane like I I literally don't know what's going on we've signed like so many clients we are wrapping up a course we launched the two indoor and artificial lighting workshops that are in person March 12th and March 19th March 12th is sold out March 19th has a couple more spots which we'll link for you guys below I've had VIP days I've gone out of town I've gotten sick it's just been it's been a lot and it's been really, really fun, but I'm, your girl is tired and in a way where like my health has kind of taken a hit and you guys were so, we're just obviously getting right into it. I haven't talked to you guys in forever, so she's going to be rambly, but I posted the other day on my Instagram stories just saying that like I wasn't feeling well and y'all came in with so many recommendations. And so the two that I have decided to implement first are oil of oregano and zinc daily so that I can hopefully stop getting sick and like have the energy to be a human. I also made the goal to just be more physically connected to my body this year because I've gotten like so out of my workout routine and connection routines. And so I'm super excited that I'm going (laughs) to hopefully haven't done it yet. And it's like the end of January, but get back into my like workout routines and connecting with my body a little bit more. But I've like legitimately not felt well enough to do that, which has sucked. So I'm really hoping that as this sickness fades, I'll be able to get back into things before I go to Iceland next month. I'm trying to think of what else is new that I have to update you guys on. Oh, I got a haircut. I, you probably saw my Instagram stories. I hate it. I asked for a bob like a little bit below my chin, like an inch below my chin. And of course I got an inch above my chin and I just hate it. (laughs) I have to dye my roots tonight and I'm really hoping that that's going to like help me like it more. I also am like, okay, cool. I can blow dry it, put texture spray in it, whatever. But it's just really short. It's the literal definition of a fuck ass bob. And I, I just don't love it. Thankfully my hair grows crazy fast. So I probably only have like maybe two months of not liking it, maybe a month. So feeling hopeful. is all I'll say about it. I'm feeling hopeful. I'm hoping that it will be cute again soon. And you guys were very nice and encouraging about my hair. And someone even DM'd me to be like, are you okay? You're cutting your hair a lot, which was really sweet. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I actually love having my hair short and I just have been too lazy to go to a stylist and so I've put it off and apparently for good reason because now I have a fuck ass bob. So don't know if we'll be going back there, but you know, out of sheer social anxiety, I scheduled my follow up in two weeks, which I'm going to need to cancel because there's no way I'm ready to be the short again. So that's basically all the updates I have for you. I went to Niagara Falls. I went to LA this month. Yeah, I'm going to Iceland next month, which will be really fun. I'm going for a week. This year's already looking like really busy with travel, which I'm both excited and nervous about because I haven't traveled constantly or like even frequently since pre-pandemic, honestly, back when I was doing destination weddings. So it's going to be interesting. We're going to see how it goes. I am excited and hopefully my health will be in order a la all of your guys' recommendations. So yeah, that's basically all that's going on. We have a really exciting month planned for you guys in February that I literally cannot wait to talk to you about. Like it's going to be crazy. Um, Twin Flames is coming back. That's your guys' little sneak peek as part of the podcast family. Twin Flames is coming back, which is our course all on sales psychology. And it is one of our like fan favorite courses. We've only opened the doors once. And so I'm so excited to re-release it for you. It's on the psychology of selling, creating content that sells. And it's magical. I'm not going to lie. It has some of our like best reviews we've ever received. So just mark your calendars that that is coming back in February and it will have up to a year long payment plan because that is one of my like favorite things to do now is make sure that you guys have access to the courses in a way that's really accessible. So yeah, that's kind of everything. Should we get into the book? Probably. Yes. I'm just waiting for Cora to like get up and start chewing her bone as she always does when we start the podcast. But for now, she's chilling at my feet sleeping. So The courage to be disliked. Let's talk about it because it actually really pissed me off at first. Um, This book is by, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but I'm going to try my best, Ichiro Kishimi and Fumi... Hmm... Fumitake Koga. Um, And it is a thought-provoking book that dives into the concepts of psychology and personal development, um, a la the psychologist Alfred Adler um, or Adler from the 19th century. And he's kind of one of like the three giants of the 20th century. Psychology alongside fraud. um, Fraud? That's not how you say that. Fraud? Fraud? Wow. My brain is glitching right now, you guys, and Jung. Anyway, I'm not even going to try to re-repeat those. But anyway, he's one of the three giants of 20th century psychology. And the book is structured as like a dialogue between a philosopher and a young man so that you can kind of get a more tangible and graspable and accessible idea of these very complex ideas. It's a little bit more engaging. I don't know how I felt about it though. Like I don't know how much I loved reading it as a conversation. It did make it more accessible, but I also expected it to change at some point and it didn't. So that was interesting. And number one, the chapter number one, starts with freedom to choose your future. So the book emphasizes Adler's um, psychology, which really like is based on the fact that people have the freedom to choose their life path and aren't constrained by past experiences. Like past experiences don't have to affect us if we don't want them to. And this is where I first got triggered. This is like where I first got upset because it was talking about how trauma doesn't affect us actually. And that obviously struck a chord as someone with like CPTSD, who's done EMDR, who's been in multiple abusive relationships, who's had to do like 
hundreds if not thousands not even hundreds for sure thousands if not tens of thousands of dollars in therapy to like deconstruct my childhood and then my adult relationships I got pissed off pretty quickly but I tried to take that as a sign that like this was something worth reading because anytime something gives you a reaction it's worth looking into so one of the first little chapter headers literally says trauma does not exist and it says we are not determined by our experiences but the meaning we give them is self-determining and I think this is a dangerous take I can't say I agree with it completely but it made me do a lot of introspection on the way that I think about my trauma and if I have held on to it as not even an excuse, but like justifications for certain behaviors. And if that has hindered the way that I move forward from that trauma. And I think that's just like an interesting thing to think about. And that's not to say if you're actively going through trauma or have just gotten out of trauma that you need to like convince yourself that you've made it up or that it doesn't matter because I think that's a really dangerous game. But when you're like years deep in processing it, Like one of the quotes on um, page 27 says, the important thing is not what one is born with, but one, what one makes of that equipment. And to me, I almost took that as like trauma does matter and what can we do with that trauma and we either going to let it hurt us significantly forever or we are going to work on it and use it and heal it and so that's kind of what I took out of this chapter I don't believe in denying trauma I think that chemical reactions to trauma are very very real PTSD is real mental health is real so denying trauma completely was going to be a no from me but I I yet she persisted through the book and that's kind of what I took from it was just this idea of like yes trauma is real but we do get to decide how we react to it and what we do with it and that is a beautiful thing and I'm really grateful that you know I'm lucky enough to have access to resources like therapy in order to process that trauma and heal it so Anyway, that that was kind of like from section number one. Um, And then there's a section number two on page 31 that's titled People Always Choose Not to Change, which is kind of crazy. And so the thought on this chapter was tendencies of thought and action. And so the philosopher says, like the youth asks, like, ten- what are those things? What is tendencies of thought and action? And the philosopher says, how one sees the world and how one sees oneself. Think of lifestyle as a concept bringing together these ways of finding meaning. In a narrow sense, lifestyle would could be defined as someone's personality. Taken more broadly, it is a word that encompasses the worldview of that person and his or her outlook on life. Um, so the youth says a person's view of the world and the philosopher says, say there's someone that worries about himself and says, I'm a pessimist. One could rephrase that instead to say, I have a pessimistic view of the world. You could consider that the issue is not personality, but rather view of the world. It seems that the word personality is nuanced and suggests being unchangeable. But if we're talking about a view of the world, well, then that should be possible to alter. And that was like a really interesting concept of me. This is still under the deny trauma section where I was like, like, ooh, how many things have I like classified as my personality? Like, how many things have I just decided that I am or people have told me that I am and I've just kind of decided to accept that rather than changing it? Like, I'm a very competitive person. I can be a really stubborn person. And like a few years ago, I had to do a lot of introspection on like, 
I'm really stubborn. How can I, like, I have to be in control all the time. Like I used to be a really hardcore one on the Enneagram. I'm also a Capricorn rising. So like I had nothing good going for me in terms of this. I'm also an oldest daughter, divorcee. I don't have a relationship with my biological father, which we never talk about on here and never will. But like I'm the poster child for needing to like have control over things. And so a couple years ago, I kind of had to like sit down and be like, I have to stop being so stubborn. Like I have to be okay with the fact that people have different paths than me. And not to say that I'm not still stubborn. I absolutely am. But like I have come so far and that was by sitting there and being like, what is my personality versus what is an actual viewpoint that I have adapted and I can alter. And so this was a really interesting section. And then like what I really wanted to take from it was like, okay, how can I do it, you know, more of a how can I do more introspection on myself and what I have classified as just personality traits and realize that maybe they're not personality traits. They're things that I've just told myself or people have told me. And like, how can I, you know, move past that and maybe work on these things that aren't necessarily positive traits? Overall, this first chapter, um, I'm reading a LinkedIn article that I will link for you guys. um, And it's like a chapter by chapter summary of courage to be disliked. But it says, according to Adler, it's going to suck ass you guys if I'm pronouncing that wrong and it's like Adler, but I think it's Adler. Um, we all have the freedom to choose our own lives and we are responsible for our own happiness and fulfillment. The authors argue that Adler's 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 God ideas are revolutionary because they challenge the traditional views of psychology, which often focus on external factors such as genetics or environmental influences, which again, I agree with. Um, I'm not a complete, fan nor supporter, not a hundred percent of Adler's ideas. However, it is very empowering to realize that you have the potential to change your mindset on things. That was like a really big thing for me this past year where life was going to the absolute shitter. And it was kind of the first time that had happened again since my divorce. And I just kind of had to be like, we're going to make it through this because we have literally no other option. And I still found a lot of joy um, until my mental health went to hell, which we talked about that in the 2023 recap. But like there was a minute there where even just like maybe a better example of this is like my life over the last four years post-divorce. And like I've had a lot of hard experiences and gone through a lot of difficult things that I didn't expect to like continue to have a hard time with post-divorce. And I did. And I've still been able to find like really, really great, beautiful happiness throughout that. And that has absolutely just been a decision that I had to make because it would have been so easy to just let that all consume me. So there were parts of this that I did appreciate. I can't say that I agree with it completely. Um, Like there's a line on page 35 from the philosopher that says, one might say you are lacking the courage to be happy. And I think there were, there have been moments in my life where like it was easier to be unhappy than it was to be happy. Like it completely took overcoming my own mindset and overcoming my own challenges and being okay with the fact that (laughs) things sucked and I still wanted to experience happiness amidst that and so I, I, I liked that concept from night one so night two is the concept of lifestyle so in the second night of the book 
we're diving deeper into this concept of lifestyle, which refers to the way that we live our lives and the choices that we make. So um, the like young man kind of starts talking about how he feels inferior based on his early childhood experiences with his parents. Um, and this is like really rooted in the concept of inferiority and how we can create more fulfilling lives by, and this is a quote from the LinkedIn article, but by accepting and embracing our own uniqueness and individuality. The authors also discuss the concept of social interest, which refers to the desire to contribute to the well-being of others and to society as a whole. So this was a really interesting section because it goes on to discuss the concept of all problems are interpersonal relationship problems so that every single problem that we have or are experiencing is because of like has to do with some other person, which is like crazy to think about truly like when we think about our problems that we experience and then being like, how how does that make sense? How do they all come back to interpersonal you know, relationships. So the philosopher says, you know, we cannot do without interpersonal relationships. A human being's existence in its very essence assumes the existence of other human beings. Living completely separate from others is in principle impossible. Um, as you are indicating the premise, if one could live all alone in the universe is unsound, AKA every problem that we have is usually having to do with someone else. So he says in Adler's native German, the word, <laughs> I'm not going to say it in German. There's literally no way I could say it, which means feeling of having less. So feelings of infor- inferiority has to do with one's value judgments of oneself. So when we feel inferior, it has to do with thinking that we have less than another person. So if we were not dealing with other people, right? Like say we're ugly. We we think we're ugly. (laughs) Let's say that differently. Say we think we're ugly. That is in comparison to other people. Say we think we're not successful enough. That is in subject to other people. Say we think we're not working hard enough. That is in subject to other people. And that is like every single problem that you can come up with is a comparison to another person. Because if you didn't have anyone to compare yourself to, you wouldn't think those things about yourself. You would just exist without the comparison of other people. And this was a really, really interesting thing to process that like, I think all of these things about myself in terms of other people. And if I think about that too much, I can start trying to live someone else's life. And that was like such a weird thing to process is that like by having these problems that are interpersonal relationships, I'm comparing myself to other people. And if I'm comparing myself to other people, I'm trying to live like them. And if I'm trying to live like them, then I'm basically living other people's lives. That was a mind fuck. Like that was a lot to be like, oh my God, I have all of these insecurities. I have all of these problems and I let them determine my life in a way where I'm like not even living for myself anymore. Excuse me. That's kind of crazy. He also on page 64 talks about like how we tend to convince ourselves we are one thing or we're lacking one thing and that's why we can't have something when in reality we should like realize it's that we don't want it. So like I'm not describing this very well. Philosopher says the real issue is how one confronts that reality. If you are thinking I'm not well educated so I can't 
can't succeed. Instead, think of I can't succeed. I don't want to succeed. And then he goes on to kind of reshape how we can think about these things of like, I'm not well educated, so I can't succeed. Right. Or like, I'm not like very mentally well, so I can't succeed. Put it the other way around. And the reasoning can be, if only I were well educated, I could be really successful, which kind of claims the power back into your hands, which I found really, really beautiful because I know there's been times where I'm like, I don't have enough connections here in New York City, so I'm not going to be able to succeed in getting my agency off the ground in the way that I want. And instead being like, I, if I was better connected, I could start building the agency that I really want to. Okay. Like, how can I do that? How can I get better connected? How can I take baby steps towards that? Right. So like if we're going off of his example of like, if only I were well educated, I could be really successful. It takes that power back into your own hands of being like, okay, how can I become more well educated? Right. Like you could even plug that shit into chat GBT to be like, I want to be more knowledgeable on this subject. Can you break down 30 days on how to become, you know, more well educated on this subject? Like, you could have AI help you with that. Like it's so tangible to take that power back into your own hands and then be like, how do I fix this problem that there's a clear solution in for rather than thinking I am that thing or I am not that thing. Like that's not the case. We can change things about our being. We can change things about our knowledge. We can always learn more, be more, work harder, work less. Like whatever the problem is that you're facing, we can fix that. And so it's important to not identify as the problem and instead see it as like a problem that maybe you have that has a solution to it. Like I thought that was really powerful and has been really great for like reshaping the way that I think about my problems. Ooh, another thing that I loved in this chapter was, and I feel like this kind of went along with like, it, it's under the classification of interpersonal problems, but I kind of related it to the trauma thing as well, where on page 69, he says, some people he says such people, but like some people try to make themselves special by way of their experience of misfortune with the single fact of their misfortune, trying to place themselves about above others. And he talks about how like sometimes we like to use even like our misfortune as an excuse as to like I don't think a lot of people consciously use it to think that they're better but like I think of even the amount of times that I've been like I'm self-made I grew up poor like because I did and I like but even that like why did I feel the need to classify that that like I'm actually self-made and so that makes my you know progress and my success like that much more important or that much more impressive and like he talks about how we kind of almost identify with our problems or our trauma or things like too much and life is not a competition um like on page 73 he says it's enough to just keep moving forward direction without competing with anyone a healthy feeling of inferiority is not something that comes from comparing oneself to others it comes from one's comparison with one's ideal self and I kind of just like had this moment where I was like how many times have I said something or like used something I've experienced as like a marker of why I've succeeded when in reality like the only person I should be competing against is myself like it can be like hey remember Eden how you grew up poorer than you used to be and you had less chances and you still made it like I can compete with myself on that my ideal self but like there's no reason to like bitch about like there's no reason to bring up things that I've been through in order to make 
my successes seem more impressive or seem more justified, like my decisions more justified. I don't know. I just found it really interesting to think of the ways that like I subconsciously even try to compete with people. And I didn't realize that until I read this book. And that that was very interesting. That kind of gave me a bit of a a mind fuck as well. Um, And then on page 80, he kind of goes into the concept of like people being our comrades. And he talks about like, how if we're able to really view people as our comrades, your way of looking at the world will change utterly. No longer will you think of the world as a perilous place or be plagued by needle needless doubts. The world will appear before you as a safe and pleasant place and your interpersonal relationship problems will decrease dramatically. And I loved that. I kind of like what it reminded me of is I... I can't remember who it was. It might've been Ashley Adams, but it was some influencer that I follow started talking about how like we love to feel inconvenienced as people. Like we love to be like, why are people walking so slow? Why are people driving so stupid? Like blah, blah, blah. And I just remember she, again, I think it was Ashley, but I can't remember who it was. So I'll just say they, but they were like, is it an actual problem? Like is someone trying to wrong you or do you just exist in a world where other humans exist? Like, do you just exist in an environment where other people are existing? And that has followed me (laughs) since I heard it, especially living in a place like New York where like stuff is constantly happening that feels inconveniencing. And it's really easy to like get upset by that and feel like people are wronging you or like that things could be going better for you or people are trying to like piss you off. And I just constantly remind myself, like, is someone actually trying to wrong me or am I just living in a place or am I just existing? in a space with other people who are also just trying to do their best and I really love this chapter of just being like how can we think of fellow human beings as like our comrades and our like equals who are also just trying to exist in a simultaneous space that we are that like breeds so much more compassion and therefore like decreases our interpersonal relationship problems like they're all intertwined and connected I had a lot of highlights in this chapter, including page 86, where he says, once the interpersonal relationship reaches the revenge stage, it was talking about how like if you're working out of anger, it's ultimately to get revenge of some kind, which another mind fuck. Sorry, we're using that phrase a lot here. But um, to prevent this from happening, when one is challenged to a power struggle, one must never allow oneself to be taken in. I am an angry person you guys like I this is something I discuss with my friends quite a bit (laughs) um I did not ever allow myself to be angry in my early 20s because anger was so conflated with violence and then after my divorce I like finally let myself get angry and I remember my therapist being like you should be angry like your rights have been violated and I do think that one should be angry sometimes like I don't agree with the fact that like you should never be angry I think you should feel your emotions but I (laughs) this line specifically kind of took me to a place where I was like wow how often have I let myself be taken in by the anger where I feel like I have to take action against people like y'all if you ever see me in the streets of New York the amount of men I yell at like if they can't call my friends I'm screaming at them like I let myself be angry a couple years ago and it just hasn't gone away since and I 
this book was like a really nice mindset shift of like, how can I be less reactive and just exist in a space where I let things happen to me and live in harmony with what's happening around me? Not to say all of the time. I think sometimes you should be angry and you should experience that, but I could probably experience it less. Like full transparency, I I could experience it less. And so that was something that I had highlighted on page 91 is like, first, there are two objectives to this behavior which is overcoming the tasks that you face in life to one is to be self-reliant and to live in harmony with society then two objectives for the psychology that support these behaviors are the consciousness that I have the ability and people are my comrades and that's something that like I'm definitely going to take from this book is like how can I just exist a little more peacefully in day-to-day life because if anything it's good for my blood pressure Page 93 really I loved because it was talking about like work that can be completed without the um, it says work that can be completed without the cooperation of other people is on principle unfeasible. And this year I talked about it on my Instagram stories today, but I talked about how one of my big missions for 2024 is to focus on community. Community has become really important to me over the last two years living in New York City. I've really been working hard to build like my family here here and to make really beautiful friendships that are intentional and life-giving and I just loved this idea that like there is nothing truly that we can do in this lifetime that doesn't require the cooperation of some other people in some sense there is literally no work completed in isolation and what a beautiful thought that is that we get to work alongside other people and just like how can I be more intentional with that and how can I make that more prevalent in my life. Like it's so easy to see people again as like inconveniencing or enemies. And that's such an easy thing to like quickly snap into. Like anger is such a quick thing to happen. And like, how can I not only view people as my comrades more and like view them as my equal and live with them in harmony, but how can I build really intentional and beautiful webs of people that help one another because work is never done in isolation. So that's night two. Night two is the concept of lifestyle, how we exist with other people, how we embrace our own uniqueness and individuality, all of that good stuff. Night three is the importance of taking responsibility. So according to the LinkedIn article, I'm going to read that really quick. It says, in the third night of the book, the authors emphasize the importance of taking responsibility for our own actions and decisions. They argue that we can often try to blame others or external circumstances for our problems and failures rather than taking ownerships of our own lives. The author encourages readers to take responsibility for their own lives and to be proactive in creating the lives they want. They also discuss the concept of encouragement, which refers to the support and guidance we receive from others as we strive to hit our goals. Okay, the third night, discard other people's tasks. Here's a really fun one for ego, honestly, this chapter. (laughs) Um, The first section is titled, Deny the (laughs) Die... Honestly, leave that in, Jamie. I hope everyone enjoyed that. I basically just died, apparently. Deny the desire for recognition. This chapter was just a bitch slap for the ego, honestly. Um, Do not live to satisfy the expectations of others. Like, it really just went into, like why we behave the way that we behave and the way that we separate what they call tasks. So tasks are people's responsibilities. So on page 128, um, the philosopher says, 
Look, the act of believing is also the separation of tasks. You believe in your partner. That is your task. But how that person acts with regard to your expectations and trust is other people's tasks. When you push your wishes without having drawn that line, before you know it, you're engaging in stalker-like intervention, (laughs) which like, woof. Um, suppose your partner did not act as you wished. Would you still be able to believe in that person? Would you still be able to love that person? The task of love that Adler speaks of is composed of such questions. And the youth says, like, that's difficult. That's very difficult. And the philosopher says, of course it is. But think of it this way. Intervening in other people's tasks and taking on other people's tasks turns one's life into something heavy and full of hardship. If you are leading a life of worrying and suffering, which stems from interpersonal relationships, learn the boundary of from here on, that is not my task, and discard other people's tasks. That is the first step towards lightening the load and making life simpler. So... Then it goes to talk about like if you care if people like you, which is a problem that I think we all face at all the time. I can't tell you how many times I have this conversation in coaching of like, what if people don't like me? What if I embarrass myself? How do I show up in a way that's not embarrassing? And the youth says, he's like recounting what the philosopher says. And he says, what another person thinks of you, if he or she likes you or dislikes you, that is that person's task, not mine. Is that what you're saying? And the philosopher says, that is what separating is. You are worried about other people looking at you. You are worried about being judged by other people. That is why you are constantly craving recognition from others. Why are you worried about people looking at you anyway? Adlerian, Adlerian, who knows? Psychology has an easy answer. You haven't done the separation of tasks yet. You assume that even things that should be other people's tasks are your own. Remember the words of the grandmother. You are the only one that's worried about how you look. This is like a story they're telling where like a young man is super concerned about his hair and the grandma's like, you're the only one that's worried about how you look. And that's so true. When have you ever been worried about how someone else looks? Anyway, her remark drives right to the heart of the separation of tasks. What other people think when they see your face, that is their task and not something you have any control over. Wow. Boy, did I need to hear this with my fuck ass Bob, you guys. I fucking hate this haircut. Anyway, this chapter is all about the importance of taking responsibility for what is actually ours to manage and what is other people's to manage. So the philosopher on page 132 says we are all suffering in an in interpersonal relationships. It might be the relationship with one's parents or one's elder brother, or it might be interpersonal relationships at one's workplace. Now, last time you were saying that you wanted some specific steps. This is what I propose. First, one should always ask, whose task is this? Then do the separation of tasks. Calmly delineate, 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 Hmm. Um, up to what point one's own tasks go and from what point they become another person's tasks and do not intervene in other people's tasks or allow even a single person to intervene in one's own tasks. This is specific and revolutionary viewpoint that is unique to Adlerian psychology and contains the potential to utterly change one's interpersonal relationship problems. Again, Think of like, like I'm thinking of my big things that I struggle with. One, showing up. Like I literally was having a conversation with a friend last night. I'm really good at showing up on Eden Schrader. Like that is effortless. I've been running that business since I was 20. It is literally just me. It's like muscle memory. I, I, it's so easy for me to show up on that page. 
I've built a TikTok following. Don't go look at me on TikTok unless you're ready to see me personally and like get to know me as a human being outside of a business owner even more so. That's my like little caveat for you, my little warning, um, because I built the entire platform on like being gay, like and realizing I was a lesbian rather than just bi and like coming out and things like that. I, that's how I built the entire platform. And I have like not a huge amount of followers, but like I think almost 45,000 which is nothing in this day and age, but like it's a significant enough following that it's kind of like, okay, what do I want to do with this? Do I want to do anything with this? Do I want to pursue video making in some capacity? And I was having a conversation with a friend last night where I was like, have I like one, do I keep myself from earning amazing money and living the life of my dreams truly because my ego doesn't want to be hurt by people thinking, what is she doing? Because I think about that every time I post a video, I'm like, are people going to think I'm dumb? And if I just ask myself, like, whose task is that? It literally isn't my business. Like what other people think of me is not my business. It's literally not my problem. I can't do anything about it. And I'm going to be upsetting someone probably no matter what. So like, why am I, why am I stopping myself from something I maybe want to do in hopes that I can handle someone else's tasks for them? Like I'm also keeping them from being able to like work through their own thing by completely removing a potential interaction from them right like I think of the times that like I've you know maybe judged someone and been like that's weird that has always been an anytime I find myself doing that to someone where I'm like I don't like that I take that as an opportunity to be like what is that reflecting in myself like what do I not like about myself that this is reflecting back to me I think of it like you know we're 90% water whatever it is like what am I reflecting um what is reflecting back that like what is this telling me about myself And if those people hadn't shown up in the way that they did, one, it's not their task to handle me being a snoot and just being dumb and judgy for a second. Um, Not their task. That's mine. And two, they would have denied me the situation where I then get to do some self-reflection and be like, why are you being a dumbass? Like, why did you judge that person? What does that say about you? Are you jealous that you don't show up in that way? Are you jealous that you don't show up authentically sometimes? Yes. Right. That's what it comes down to. So this idea of tasks is very interesting. I think it's a really good thing to think of when we're having any sort of problems because again, they're all interpersonal. Okay. So then we get to page 139 where we are talking about desire for recognition makes you unfree. Like freedom is not needing recognition from other people. And the youth says this, it's like this. It's not so difficult to judge what others expect of one or what kind of role is being demanded of one. Living as one likes, on the other hand, is extremely difficult. What does one even want? What does one want to become? And what kind of life does one want to lead? One doesn't always get such a concrete idea of things. It would make be a grave mistake to think that everyone has clear-cut dreams and objectives. Don't you know that? Which this one really resonated with me because as I've gotten older, the more I've been like, I have literally no idea what I want to do with my life. Like long term, I'm like, I don't know. Fuck if I know. Like I'm just living day by day. I have no clue. And the philosopher says, maybe it is easier to live in such a way as to satisfy other people's expectations because one is entrusting one's own life to them. For example, one runs along the tracks that one's parents have laid out. Even if there are a lot of things one might object to, one will not lose one's way as long as one stays on those rails. But if one is deciding one's path oneself, it is only natural that one will get lost at times. One comes up against the wall of how one should live. And the youth says, that is why I'm looking for recognition from others. Um, And this was such an interesting concept of like how often 
do I take the easier path that someone has else has laid out to me? Right. Um, and like, it, I don't know. It's just like such an interesting concept that like even taking people's advice too much means that we are living as someone else would. Like we're not truly living our own autonomous life. And I'm can be a culprit of that where I'll like ask 10,000 people what their opinions are. I usually don't listen because I'm a Sagittarius, but like I'm going to ask. And sometimes I let that change the way that I operate. And when I do that, I'm living as those people would, which is not truly my own life. So I found that fascinating. And then on page 140, the, the philosopher is really banging in this chapter, you guys. He's really popping off. I have so much highlighted. He says, it is true that there is no one person who wishes to be disliked, but look at it this way. What should one do to not be disliked by anyone? There's only one answer. It is to constantly gauge other people's feelings while swearing loyalty to all of them. If there are 10 people, one must swear loyalty to all 10. When one does that for the time being, one will have succeeded in not being disliked by anyone. But at this point, there's a great contradiction looming. One swears loyalty to all 10 people out of single-minded desire to not be disliked. This is like a politician who has fallen into populism and began to make impossible promises and accept responsibilities that are beyond him. Naturally, his lies will come to light before long. He will lose people's trust and turn his own life into one of greater suffering. And of course, the stress of continual lying has all kinds of consequences. Please grasp this point. If one is living in such a way as to satisfy other people's expectations and entrusting one's own life to others, that is a way of living in which one is lying to oneself and continuing that lying to include the other people around one woof that was such a slap in the face to be like oh if I'm trying to please everyone or let's like I've come to terms with the fact that I can't please everyone but like let's even say majority of people there's truly no way to do that without lying that is the last thing I want to be is a liar. And so this was just like such, again, a mindfuck of being like, I am a better, more honest person when I live as my like true self. And I'm okay with being disliked by people. And I'm okay exercising my freedom and living in freedom and living in accordance to my own principles, which is something they talk about on page 144. But like, how powerful is that, that we can be our truest, best selves and most honest selves and the most honest integrity filled people by being ourselves like how like slay I love that that's what a like way to remind myself that I need to just like stop thinking about other people because when I do that I'm a little liar and none of us want to be liars I know that for a fact and if you do please consult a therapist because I can't help you with that one with this book like that one's that one's a not a me problem so anyway that's night three the importance of taking responsibility and living honestly, which I thought was beautiful. So now we're getting into night four, which I've only read a little bit of. Okay. There's five nights. Yes. Five nights. I only made it a little bit through night four. So night four is the power of self-acceptance. And from the LinkedIn article in the fourth night of the book, the authors explore the importance of self-acceptance and leading a fulfilling and meaningful life. They argue that we often try to conform to societal expectations and norms, which can lead to feelings of frustration and unhappiness. Instead, the authors encourage readers to be true to themselves and to embrace their own uniqueness and individuality. They discuss the concept of inferiority, which refers to the feelings of inadequate Wow. An inferiority that we may experience as we try to live up to the expectations of others. Okay. So one of the titles is like, why am I only interested in myself? 
And the philosopher says, well, let's consider this concretely. For the purposes of clarity in a place of attachment to self, I will use the word self-centered. In your view, someone who is self-centered is what sort of person? And the youth says, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is the kind of person who's like a tyrant, someone who's domineering, has no qualms about being a nuisance to other, and thinks only about the things that are to his own advantage. He thinks the world revolves around him, and he behaves like a dictator who rules by absolute authority and force. He's the kind of person who creates an enormous amount of trouble for everyone around him. We've all experienced a person like this. Um, And then he says, on the other hand, he wouldn't necessarily be a tyrant. One might speak of the sort of person who disturbs the harmony of a group as self-centered too. He's someone who can't operate in a group and prefers to act alone. He never stops to reflect on his actions, even when he's late for appointments or fails to keep his promises. In a word, he is an egotist. So there's another type of ego self-centeredness that people need to take into account says the philosopher and it's people who are incapable of carrying out the separation of tasks and who are obsessed with the desire for recognition are also extremely self-centered and the philosopher says consider the reality of desire for recognition how much do others pay attention to you and what is their judgment of you that is to say how much do they satisfy your desire people who are obsessed with such a desire for recognition will seem to be looking at other people while they are actually looking only at themselves. They lack concern for others and are concerned solely with the I. Simply put, they're self-centered. Okay. Are you kidding me? This one, again, was like, I know half of this podcast is me being like, what a mind fuck. Slap to the face. But I mean it. Like, this was such a, like, whoa moment for me where I was like, by thinking so much about what other people think of me, I'm only thinking of myself and what a gross way to live. (laughs) Like that is not the kind of person I want to be. I don't want to be the kind of person that only thinks of themselves. I don't want to be the kind of person that is synonymous with a tyrant. Like that is a horrible way to think of things. And so this was like something that I really want to take into my day-to-day life is like, how can I think about what others think of me less? Because that means I'm thinking of myself less. Like, how can I think of other people more? How can I help other people more? How can I like, it's, it's so eye-opening to realize how much we think about ourselves and like, what another testament to that like no one's thinking of us (laughs) like we don't need to keep worrying what are they thinking about are they thinking about me are they judging about me probably not they're probably thinking about themselves just like you are like what a interesting reality we live in where we are all just thinking of ourselves so that's night four I'm literally only going to be able to read the summary now for night five because I did not get to finish it but maybe I'll do another podcast episode where we talk about it but it's about the path to happiness and fulfillment and in the final night of the book the author summarizes the key themes and ideas presented throughout the book and offers practical guidance for creating a fulfilling and meaningful life they argue that the key to happiness and fulfillment is to take responsibility for our own lives be true to ourselves and to develop a sense of social interest they encourage readers to embrace their own uniqueness and individuality to strive to create lives that are based on their own values and goals and I think honestly night four might be one of the like most powerful chapters because I feel like it's like the final hammer on the head of just like hey by thinking this much about what other people think of you you're really still just thinking of yourself when you could be thinking of a collective self-interest and like being yourself and helping others do the same and what a beautiful thing that is right and that truly gives me 
drum roll please the courage to be disliked like it's so much easier to be okay with people disliking me because that means that I'm like being true to myself I'm thinking of myself I'm being more selfless like please that's so cool that you can be more selfless like by being yourself and being disliked and I'm I'm treating other people in the way that I would hope to be treated which is giving them grace giving them the sense to be you know completely autonomous and existing right like it's just such a beautiful harmony that we can find by enacting these principles that they talk about in this book and so overall I would recommend this book from book club um are there some points that I don't agree with yes but hopefully this podcast episode can kind of give you some insight into the amazing things that it also teaches because it really was such a beautiful book I loved it so I'm excited to finish it because <laughs> I guess I didn't even finish it um and I'm excited that the last chapter is a summary of everything so that I can like understand it a little bit more but everyone go read The Courage to be Disliked it was an amazing book I th- it's also a very easy read um like I'm not a very talented reader and this wasn't a read that I had to like read the pages multiple times or like work really hard to understand it um which I appreciate as someone that's like not a huge reader and is trying to become one so nine out of ten recommend maybe eight I think I'd give it eight out of ten stars And that's my final review. So thank you for joining us again for another book club. We will let you know as soon as the next one is dropping. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, if you found any nuggets of wisdom in it, please don't forget to subscribe, share on your stories, leave us a review. Truly, that helps so much as we grow the podcast. And I know you're probably thinking like, I'll do it next time or it's fine. Someone else will do it. Please. I'm begging please do it. It means the world. And I feel like with podcasts, it's very much, what is the syndrome? But like, or like the bystander effect where you think someone else is going to get involved. So you don't, that is literally what podcasts are like, where no one ever leaves reviews because they think everyone else is going to do it. So this is my spiel. I'm begging, begging you to leave a review. I love you guys. I mean it. I cannot wait to see you next week, next month for some crazy goodness it's gonna be insane this year is only like ramping up more and more and more so I hope you're ready for some amazing goodness and I will see you next time